Well, thank you, Benjamin, and thank you so much to everybody else who has taken part in our service so far. We're going to turn um, to 1 Peter chapter 3, and it follows on from the practical advice that Peter had given in chapter 2 to the people as to how they were to conduct themselves and how they were to live lives of holiness in their everyday. That was fourfold. They were to honor other people. They were to love the brotherhood. They were to fear God, not in terror, but in reverence. And they were also to honor the emperor, to honor the king, to allow ourselves to submit to the human authorities such as governments and monarchies. And here, as we follow on from this practical advice, Peter gives more commands regarding how Christians, the people of God, should conduct themselves and live lives of holiness in their own lives. And Peter does this in three ways. Firstly, he begins by talking about holiness in the household. Then he moves on to holiness in community and what that looks like as we live out lives of holiness, living amongst other people. And then lastly, we'll consider holiness in response to Christ and all that he has done for us. So let's go to the first point, holiness in the household. This follows on, as we said, from what we were looking at last week and how we are to submit ourselves to human authorities, how we are to do so for the sake of the Lord and how we are to be witnesses for him in the way that we respect other people and love those around about us. And, and this follows on from that. What I would say as well this week, I have never read so many commentaries. I've never listened to so many sermons around about the same subject as what we're going to look at in our first point. This is a passage of scripture that is so often misused, um, misinformed, and also used to oppress people. But this is actually a message of hope. This is a message of hope. And therefore, we will not rush as we move through this. The word of God is inspired by God. We believe as the church that every word, every utterance that is written and spoken within the word of God comes directly from the heart of God. And therefore, the word of God is not like a McDonald's menu. Where you go into McDonald's and you decide whether you want a Big Mac or you want a McChicken sandwich, if you decide whether you want the McNuggets or you want the chicken selects, the Word of God is not a matter of picking and choosing. The Word of God, we've got to take it all as it is, especially the things that we don't like. Because the scripture says of God that his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So as we look at this next passage, in particular, I want you to keep that in mind, that God has a plan, that God's ways are perfect, and that God loves everyone. To be a Christian means that we are people who live under submission to, of the rule and reign of others. We are called to live, under the, live in submission to human institutions, to masters and employers, even the unjust ones. And in doing so, we are actually following the example of Jesus who displayed the gospel to one another and to the world. Through Jesus' submission to the Father, 
Salvation was made possible for you and me. Submission is not a sign of weakness. Submission is a sign of reliance upon God. And as we consider this passage together, we must do so in the knowledge as well that the Bible never elevates men over women. And that the scriptures are the only ancient text of the time whereby men are called to account with regards to their relationship with their wives. This section is not about worth, but rather it's about roles in the team dynamic that is Christian marriage. Maybe you're tuning in today and you're not married and you're tempted to turn it off. Maybe you have no wishes to get married. I truly believe that every piece of scripture is applicable to each and every one of our lives and that God will speak to you by the power of his Holy Spirit if you stay the course here. To the world, submission looks foolish. But to us who are saved, to us who have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, it is the power of God, it is the wisdom of God. And submission makes no sense if you don't believe the gospel. But if you believe the gospel, it should be the most natural thing in the world. Now, I know that Karen has already read these words for us, but it's always good to remind ourselves of the word of God. So let us receive these words. Likewise, likewise, just as you are to submit to human institutions, just as you are to submit to your masters and your employers, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning, adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewellery or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husband. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, human uh, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is quite a controversial passage, but actually this is a passage which in its original context and at its time of writing was a passage which brought hope. And today as we consider this word together we're going to talk firstly to the wives and then to the husbands and I want you if you're sitting at home with your wife with your husband tune into the tv tune into whatever device you're watching this on don't look at them when instructions are being given but actually receive this as the word of the lord to our hearts not an opportunity to point fingers at one another but to recognize and to realize the team dynamic 
that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, has given to us as we enter into marriage. Maybe, as I said, you're not married. Maybe you have no plans of being married. Again, stick with this because there is some very practical advice for us from the heart of God um, during these moments. So firstly, let's talk to the wives. There, there are quite a few verses that are dedicated to wives here. We've read them now a couple of times during this service. But when it says, wives, submit to your husbands, here is what submission is not. The submission is not to all men in general. The scriptures are very clear, both, in, both here in 1 Peter chapter 3 and also in Ephesians chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul speaks on the same topic. Wives, submit to your own husbands. So frequently, this passage and Ephesians chapter 5 is wrongly used to represent or to try and represent men as the superior sex. This is not the case. Women, you do not need to submit to men in general. But the scriptures are clear that you are to submit to your husband as head of the household, as appointed by God. And this submission, it's not rooted in his talents. It's not rooted in his gifts. It's not rooted in his strengths. Because let's be honest, there are so many things that you're probably better than your husband or your significant other at. My wife is way more talented than I am. She's way more gifted than I am. She's a lot more prayerful sometimes than I am. She is a better leader than I am. This submission is not based on the husband's talents, but it's based on submission to God and to his command. It is made in light of how awesome God is at how his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, how his ways are higher than our ways. And this submission is based on who God is, not on who your husband is. And another thing that this submission is not, it's not an excuse to be passive as a wife. Marriage is a partnership. Yes, the authority may lie with the man to make the final decision. But these decisions should be made in tandem. These decisions should be made in partnership with one another. As you have covenanted to love one another and to love God, so you are to make decisions together. Although the final call may lie with the man as head of the household, decisions are to be made together. Wives, hold your husbands to account. Make sure that your husband is not making a knee-jerk reactions knee-jerk decisions make sure offer respectful pushbacks on some of the decisions that he might make do it for his sake do it for the glory of God and there is such power in submission Karen Jobs 
a New Testament scholar um, writing on this portion of scripture told of how to the original hearers of this passage that this was a word of hope for them. It was as if God had not forgotten about them. God had not abandoned them. You see, in Greco-Roman culture, it was the responsibility of the wife or the norm for the wife to follow the husband in everything that he did. It was normal that the wife would have no friends outside of the home. And suddenly, whenever this wife has come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, who testifies to the goodness and the transforming power of Jesus Christ, suddenly their home situation seems a little bit helpless. Karen Jobs says this, says how ironic it is that the words first century wives would have read as affirming and empowering are criticized by some today as enslaving and oppressive. This was God's lifeline for these women. Submit to your husbands. Live in such a way that you may win them over by the way that you love me and by the way that you love them. You see, there is such power in submission. There is also beauty in submission. Peter in this passage isn't saying that you shouldn't have nice things or that you should stop making an, eff uh, stop making an effort with your outward appearance, but rather here he is challenging the cultural importance that was so widespread in first century culture and is also widespread in 21st century culture. The emphasis that is placed on outward beauty and he's saying to the, to the wives, he says, look beyond that. Look beyond those things. External beauty fades, but internal beauty continually shines. So wives, learn to pray. Learn to read the scriptures. Lean into the heart of God. And God is glorified and God is honoured by this inner beauty. Whether you're married or not. Whether you are married and your husband follows Jesus or not. Live in such a way that your husband, your partner would know that Jesus is real. And that he has indeed transformed you from the inside out. You see, submission to your husband is all about first submitting to Jesus. And marriage is about Jesus. And it is a picture of the gospel. So wives, submit to your husbands. Men, I'm going to talk to you now. Because the reality is we're so good as men at quoting wives submit to your husbands. But do you realise as well that you too have been called to submit to your wife? Mic drop. You too have been called to submit to your wives and the tools for this have been given to us 
by God. I mentioned a passage in Ephesians chapter 5 where the Apostle Paul speaks of the same um, topic. And we read in verses 25 to 27 of chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The call on us as husbands is to submit ourselves to the needs of our bride, just as Jesus himself gave of himself the needs of the church and we do this by loving and by honoring her and Peter gives us practical ways to do that firstly he says in an understanding way and we can only understand if we have knowledge and we are to love her both we are we are to love her both by knowing the word of God and by knowing the our wives desires and her goals So husbands, how long do you spend in the word of God? Not just reading it, but studying it. Gaining a knowledge of what it says and putting it into action. What do you know of your wife's desires and her goals? Do you know what makes her face light up? Do you know what she stays up worrying about at night when you're snoring your head off? Do you give her your full attention whenever she's speaking to you? Because we are called to love our wives in an understanding way. And because of that, we're called to know and be a student both of God's word and also of our wives. We are also called to love our wives and submit to her by showing honour to her as the weaker vessel. And even though she is equal in her standing with you in God's eyes, there is a weakness that has been entrusted to her so that she might be able to display a key attribute of Jesus in her life. That key attribute is humility even though she may be a better leader, even though she may be more talented and more gifted. She exercises her humility. She radiates the love of Christ by submitting to her husband. And we live in this fallen world, and because of that, the wife is due honour because she has the more difficult role to play. We're to honour women as the weaker vessel. Christian men, regardless of whether you are married or not, regardless of what age you are, Christian men, we should be the first to stand and oppose the vulnerability of women uh, that women face in society. And instead of using the authority which Christ has given to us as head of the household for selfish ends, we are rather to use this authority to love and honour our wives and her needs. We're not to use it to get our own way. We're to use it to serve her. Wives are not inferior beings. 
but they are the weaker for Christ's sake. And here's three ways that men, that women can be honoured physically. Place yourself, men, between your wife and danger. Serve and honour her. Secondly, as we use our authority, nowhere, nowhere in scripture does it say to get your wife to submit. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. But nowhere does it say, husbands, get your wives to submit. Live in such a way. Honour her. Love her. Cherish her. In such a way that it is easy for her to follow your leadership. I remember talking with a member of our congregation, uh, a female, about how she felt about these words in scripture, wives submit to your husbands. And she said, I have no problem submitting to his authority as head of the household, as long as he loves Jesus the way he ought to. And when we love Jesus the way we ought to, then we will love our wives and champion her in the way that Christ championed women. We are also to love her emotionally and honour her emotionally. We should love our wives with our words, both publicly, bigger up in public, but also privately. When the doors are closed, build your wife up. Tell her that you love her. Men, this is not a sign of weakness. This is biblically mandated. Tell your wife that you love her. Show your wife when the doors are closed that you love her. But also, don't just do it in word, but also tell your face. Because if you are married, you'll know that very often our words can say one thing and our face can say the other. Love her in word and in deed, both publicly and privately. And men, we're also called to submit to the needs of our wives so that your prayers may not be hindered. A true litmus test, a true test of whether or not you're doing well as a husband can be found in your prayer life. Our Lord God is so concerned about you honouring your wife, about you honouring your significant other, about you honouring your sisters in the Lord if you're not married. So concerned about you honouring them that he would hinder your prayers whenever you're not doing so. It's right there in Scripture. In essence, in the original language, it says that God would close his ears to what we have to say. I love spending time with my father-in-law and I'm very blessed to have a good relationship with him. I love my own dad as well, but my own dad didn't like sport and he didn't have any daughters, so he's no use for this analogy. But I love to spend time with my father watching our beloved Manchester United. But could you imagine for a moment if I went to spend time with my father-in-law and I was mistreating his daughter at home and he knew about it, do you think that we'd spend the time watching football? 
Do you think that we would spend the time talking about whether Solskjaer's got his tactics right or not? Of course not. And so often, men who claim to love God, who mistreat their wives, come to God in prayer and he closes his ears to them. Let us honour our wives. Let us honour our brothers, our sisters, sorry, in the Lord. Let's view them as God views them, as a beloved daughter of the King. So wives, just as you are to submit to your husbands, so men, you are to submit to the needs of your wife. To love her, to cherish her as God loves and cherishes her. Because it's ultimately about pointing each other to Jesus through mutual submission in light of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. It's not going to be easy, but it is a calling which comes to us, is given to us directly from God. Only to the extent to which we know and recognise the lengths to which Christ was willing to go for us, will we be able to recognise and live out the calling, our calling, of wife to husband and husband to wife. And just as Peter gives instruction for holiness in the household, he then switches to holiness in community as the people of God and this applies to all of us again we read in verses 8 to 17 finally all of you have unity of mind sympathy brotherly love a tender heart and a humble mind do not repay evil for evil or reviling for, for reviling but on the contrary bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be the will of God, than for doing evil. Finally here speaks and signals the end of the section. All of you emphasises that the whole church is addressed. And Peter gives five adjectives, which I would like to suggest are actually five verbs doing words, five things that we should do and five ways that we can live lives of holiness in community together. He says, be like-minded. 
And this calls believers to live in harmony with one another. It doesn't mean that we must share identical opinions on each and everything, but it does mean that we should share a common focus on the Lord Jesus. He then says, be sympathetic. Number two, Christians should be ready to share the feelings of others. In other words, we should do as the scripture says. We should be ready to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Then says, thirdly, love one another. And its central position among the adjectives, or as we are going to call them, verbs, underscores that Christian love, that is brotherly love, which is extended to brothers and sisters in the law, that it underlies all five of these characteristics. This is a call to family-like mutual love among believers, and it's almost certainly derived from the words that Jesus spoke and Peter heard, love one another. Love each other. Then he says, fourthly, be compassionate. This is the deepest of human emotions, and the verb that is used here in the original language is the same verb which is used in Matthew, Mark and Luke to speak of the emotion that Jesus felt when he was deeply moved, when he had compassion on people. We are to mirror Jesus in our compassion toward others. Then he says, have a humble mind. And this marks the inner attitude of those who are voluntarily submissive to authority over them. It's saying, look, you've heard all this stuff. You've heard how we are to submit to God, how we are to submit to human institutions, how we are to submit to our masters, to our employers, how we are to submit to our wives, how we are to submit to our husbands. And here he's saying, be humble. Be humble enough to put these things into actions. And these five characteristics are hallmarks. They are signs of Christian community life, lived in the way that it should be. So let us be a people who are like-minded, who are sympathetic, who love one another, who are compassionate and are humble in all of our ways. And he also says in this passage, but in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy. Here he's not calling on us or his readers to try and make Christ more holy, but to live in a reality that he is already holy and to set him apart over all human authority. That we are ultimately to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. Christ should be set apart once and for all as Lord in our lives. And when he says in our hearts, he does not imply that faith should be a private matter as some people would have you understand, but actually that faith should not just be a private matter that is not discussed in public, but that true reverence is at the center of who Christians are as a people that we revere Christ, both privately and publicly. Robert Mounts, 
said of genuine faith. He said, genuine faith must of necessity rise from the depths of personal experience. Lip service to creed and custom fall short and eternal issues are decided in the lonely reaches of the human heart. And this leads to Christians being able to give an answer to everyone who asks them for the reason for the hope that they have. It doesn't say that we should have all the answers to every question that people may ask us, but we should be able to provide an intelligent account of what we believe and what we have experienced and why Christ is indeed Lord and Saviour of our lives. William Barclay said that our faith must be a first-hand discovery and not a second-hand story. Which begs the question, have you had that first-hand experience of the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Has he lifted you from death into life? If the answer is no, I want to encourage you today that as we move into our last and our final point, that we can live these lives of holiness because of the sacrifice that Christ made for us. He loves you. You are the apple of his eye. And it is his deep desire today that you would come into a saving relationship with him. Whether for the first time or maybe for the past wee while you've been going your own way. Jesus beckons you come. And he says come and experience the goodness of my grace and my mercy. All of this holiness is, response, is possible in response to what Christ has done for us. It says in verse 18 to 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the day of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Peter holds up here the example and the victory of Christ to encourage his readers his readers who were suffering, his readers who were enduring persecution, and the discussion of the suffering of Christians leads naturally to the topic of Christ's saving death. He died once for all, emphasizing the finality of the once for all suffering and death of Christ on the cross. The righteous for the unrighteous. And it emphasizes that Christ was innocent. That he took upon himself the sins of the world as an innocent man. And it reminds us that his suffering 
at his death, that it benefits us. Christ, the righteous one, suffered for the sins of you and me, the unrighteous, in order to bring us to God. Christ died in order that we might have right and intimate relationship with the creator God. For sin in our lives separates us from him. There was a debt that was too great for us to pay. So Jesus, the blameless, spotless lamb of God, paid it on our behalf. He paid it on your behalf this morning. And Christ's victory is the foundation and it is the cause of the salvation that we experience as the people of God. His suffering and his death on the cross originally seemed to point to his humiliation and to his defeat. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead transformed this apparent defeat into victory. For death could not hold him. He rose again victorious over sin, over death. Sin was defeated and we share in Christ's victory and in his vindication this morning, regardless of any unjust suffering that we may have to endure. Christ's death, Daniel Pars says, was, the final was not the final defeat but was the prelude of his ultimate vindication and exaltation over all the evil powers arrayed against the Christian community. By participating in his suffering, perhaps even to the point of death, they were assured of a share in his vindication and exaltation. Christ always has the last word. Christ always has the last word. He is victorious over sin and over death. And friends, today, if you do not know him, I urge you, I plead with you, come to know the love that was poured out on your behalf. Jesus paid it all. All to him, I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. And he did that for you and he did that for me. That we may have relationship with him. So that sin need no longer be a barrier to God. But that we would come to know him. That we would be given a righteousness that is not our own. And we would stand before the Father forgiven. That is the hope that we have. So just as we are called to live lives of holiness in the household, as we're called to live lives of holiness in community, it is all possible because of the once for all sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for you. Christ has the last word. And the last word is paid in full.